Okay, thank you again for the opportunity to uh, address everybody and just to encourage you um, to keep on doing this. Um, I don't know if you're discouraged or if you feel like you've been doing this uh, too long and seen little fruit from it, but I want to encourage you from the book of Zephaniah this morning. I've spent the last year and a half or so uh, just memorizing and meditating on this book. And um, it talks about uh, some very hard things. So Zephaniah, um, I, I didn't know much about the book. I, of course, read it many times, but I'd never really sat down and studied it. Um, I, The hard things that Zephaniah talks about are things that are going to take place at a definite time in the future. But it's through those hard things that God is going to take his people to um, an amazing time of continual, perpetual, eternal prosperity and security. Revival, in my estimation, is pockets of that happening in the world before that final day where God rescues uh, people, sometimes on a small scale, sometimes on a larger scale. Um, and in our humble attempt to um, promote extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion, I don't know how God intends to answer these prayers. I do know he does intend to answer these prayers. And I thought it might be helpful if um, instead of a challenge so much, I would just simply read Zephaniah and ask you, if you have a Bible, to turn with me to Zephaniah 3. It's one of those lost books of the Bible, the minor prophets, who are anything but minor in their emphasis. Um, after going through some discussion on some of the cataclysmic destruction that's going to take place when God comes to judge the earth at a particular time, um, it also talks about how God is going to save his people in the meantime, uh, or at that time through the judgment. And I just want to read these verses and make one comment on each verse um, so we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about it and we spend more of our time praying. But in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9, he says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. That's genuine prayer. Genuine prayer, a genuine calling on God is going to characterize true revival. Verse 10, for beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering, genuine worship. That accompanies true revival. Verses 11 and 12. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. So, genuine revival is also characterized by genuine humility, a genuine walk with the Lord where we, re we realize who God is and who is God and who isn't, which would be all the rest of us. Verse 13, 
Those who are left in Israel shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. A genuine change in character, not just a temporal, superficial change in action, but a genuine change in character. Look at verse 14 again, genuine worship. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Genuine worship. My, my convictions are that verse 14 ought to characterize every worship service that God's people experience, but it's going to be experienced by God's people on the whole at that time. Verse 15. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. That's genuine forgiveness. He just wipes away all the record of our wrongs against him and against each other, against his people, against unbelievers, against Anybody and everybody, God just wipes it away. That's the amazing privilege of knowing God when he does for us what we could never do for ourselves by justifying us and declaring us righteousness and imputing to us the righteousness of his son and making us not just forgiven, but perfect in his sight. It's, it's astounding. It's a reason why we should shout and sing aloud and shout for joy and rejoice and exult with all of our heart. Verse 16. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. There'll be genuine stability. Our lives will not be topsy-turvy. Our, our lives will be certain, and we'll be able to count on the security of knowing that God is really reigning. We'll see it. We'll experience it. We'll taste it. We'll enjoy it. Verse 17 more of that genuine security. Listen to this verse. This may be the most famous verse in all of Zephaniah. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I did this with my granddaughter last night. Verse 18. Genuine cultural continuity will we'll be friends and will be in one accord with each other, with our neighbors. There won't be so much division and strife and anger and hatred and divisiveness. Look at verse 18. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Verse 19. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. I, I see that as just genuine freedom, complete freedom from whatever bondage we've been in. Verse 20, at that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Genuine prosperity. Prosperity that doesn't 
entice us and tempt us to be self-satisfied and self-aggrandized and self-justified. And, and as God warned the Israelites going into the promised land in, in Deuteronomy, beware when you go into this land, you inhabit cities and you pick grapes from vines and you harvest crops that you didn't plant and cities that you didn't build. Beware, you're going to get fat and happy and you're going to forget the Lord. Well, that's the real temptation that all physical prosperity leads us to. But in that day, when there's true revival, we enjoy true prosperity and we realize whose hand it comes from. So I was just wanted to read that passage to you and encourage you when we pray for revival to give you kind of a glimpse, an idea as this passage is such an encouragement to me of this is this is what we're hoping for, both on that larger scale at the end when the Lord returns, and in little pockets, and maybe even worldwide, God might do that before then at some point. These are the things we're praying for. It's sometimes helpful for me to know that's what it's kind of going to look like if it were to happen. So to, to entice us in the most healthy of ways to keep on praying and keep on asking God to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. I, I like Zephaniah, the last few verses of that uh, little book to just encourage us. This is what it would look like to some degree. So may God help us to pray with that in mind.